Welcome to Seven Heads, Ten Horns with Klaus Yoder and Travis Stevens. Welcome back to Seven Heads, Ten Horns, the internet's only history of the devil. I'm Klaus Yoder, and with me, as always, is my partner in heretical musings, Travis Stevens. Travis, how are you doing this fine October afternoon? Well, I have to say I'm quite excited that we are podcasting in October. This is probably my favorite month of the year. As you know, the gay high holy days are coming up at the end of the month. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, important preparations are going on for that. Um, We'll be talking later about the, what was it? The, the Sabbath of the Undead. Uh, undead yeah yeah the undead so i obviously have to be preparing for that so there's just there's a lot going on um but i'm pleased to be here klaus good you're, you. so How the gay you? good so like the gay holidays to help like overcome christian uh heteronormative civilization good okay good you exactly. might be part of yep. some of the plots in this this story yeah great <laughs> yeah so. I'm, I'm well yeah i'm also an october enthusiast i'm also i'm also I'm also big on September too. So I like, I think I like all the seasons. I'm like boring, but I do have a special, especially soft spot in my heart for, for October and Halloween stuff. So especially, you know, if you, if you couldn't tell by now, I do, you know, this horror theme podcast. So it, it kind of translates. Yeah. So we are here to talk about a very special piece of cinema called the satanic rites of Dracula, which is a 1973 British horror film from Hammer Studios, and it's actually, it's part of a longer series of Dracula films they did between like the 50s, I think through the 70s, maybe it goes a little bit later, and um, it stars the iconic Christopher Lee as Dracula, and this one brings in Peter Cushing, who some of you may know from the first Star Wars film, the actual name that Star Wars character is eluding me right now. Um, because I'm not I'm not a nerd like that. I'm a different kind of nerd, I guess. Um, but but yeah, he's in it. He plays Van Helsing, and um, it's directed by Alan Gibson, who also did the first film in this Dracula reboot, which was Dracula AD 1972. And uh, these, as that title might suggest, part of the point of these films is like bringing Dracula into the modern world into the swinging 70s there's a lot of grooviness to this film maybe that i don't know if it, if how that if any of that was lost on you travis how groovy it, it was oh no i didn't miss that that's like what i came here for is the groove yeah is it, the funk and we got it so yeah and in 80 72 like almost like exploitatively layers that on the other thing about the film is that Dracula has to be like reincarnated into the present, into the film's present. And then they have to rely on a really uncanny family resemblance between the original Professor Van Helsing and his grandson, I believe, uh, Lorimer Van Helsing, who's played by the same person who played the original Van Helsing. So yeah, no problems there. <laughs> um, had Were you familiar with Hammer before watching these films? Was Hammer Film Studio something that was on your radar? No, this was my introduction to it. And I have to say, you know, I've watched a couple of, no, just one other of their films so far, but I'm in it for the long haul. I'm hoping we make this into a little mini series at some point spread out over time because it's been quite fun. Yeah. So like Hammer like takes like the classic 
horror stories from like the 19th and 20th century, a lot of which were done iconically in 1930s and 40s Hollywood in Universal Studios, like Dracula, Frankenstein, The Wolfman, The Mummy, things like that. And sort of gives it a turns it up to eleven a little bit. Like there's a kind of there's a kind of different style of Technicolor. They're both like very studio films and that like these like really intense sets and and that sort of thing and like sort of like steady casts and maybe maybe sort of like lower budgets too. But yeah, it's like they're a bit less silly than the Universal ones. There's a bit more. There's a bit more. There's a bit more sexiness. I would say too. It's just sort of like a European British thing. And yeah, there's just a little bit of a sharper edge to them, I would say. There's probably a lot more to be said about them too, but yeah. Yeah, and we'll talk more about style later, but I want to just plant the seed now. To what extent might we think of these, maybe out of the context of the previous Universal films, as representing camp in some way? The the key here being they're taking it quite seriously, but are, yeah, who's in on it and who's not on how over the top it is. That's a a kind of uh, question I want to sit with. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good question because they're, they're, yeah, they're both campy, but like in different ways. And I think just like Christopher Lee in particular just really invites that as a, as a way of thinking about this. So very briefly, the plot. So at the end of Dracula 80, 1972, Lorimer Van Helsing seemed to have successfully polished off the reincarnated Dracula who was buried and interred at this, um, now I'm going to miss it, I think St. Barnabas Churchyard. And it seemed like it was all said and done, right? Well, guess what? Not so fast. And for reasons that are totally unclear, Dracula is back. Not that you see him until about 35 minutes into the film, which is an interesting choice of the film. Really just sort of holding him back. Maybe Christopher Lee was sort of uh, slow quitting or something or quiet quitting. Like, I don't know. Uh, He's holding back. But Oh, I had a totally different take, Klaus. That's super interesting. For me, it was the big reveal that ended up feeling a little anticlimactic. Exactly. If it's a monster movie, you know, where it's like a visual you know, spectacle of a character, then you kind of get it, right? Like you see shadowy things and you're like, oh, what's it going to look like? It's terrifying. And here we have so much buildup, but then it's just kind of a pale guy with like a great cape. You know? Yeah. Which I, of course, I'm here for, obviously. Yeah. The, yeah. the cape is huge, but you know. So the action of this film centers around a country estate called Pelham House that for reasons that will become clear, I guess, in a little bit. The English, the British Secret Service is obsessed with and has infiltrated. And their agent is discovered and is beat up. And he escapes and he he comes back and he tells them about, oh man, there are important people coming to this house, like uh, a big industrialist, a big scientist, the largest landlord in England, uh, the top general, like these powerful people, and this other person who who goes unnamed and who doesn't show up in the secret camera that this agent has stashed in his wristwatch. So because the people who are visiting Pelham House and who are engaged in what this mole describes as like satanic kind of levian satan church of satan sort of style loose style rituals the film is obsessed with saying oh they're so obscene obscene like it's like the like you know it's blasphemous just like this is the worst thing in the world 
that yeah they really dwell like this is really what is top secret government business but in any case because the people who are involved in this are so powerful the secret service has their hands tied and they're going to be shut down if they are too intrusive about the goings-ons of these powerful men so they have to go to the the only one or one of the only people in london who has what it takes to take on this sinister force is just some detective at scotland Uh, which is so familiar to me from like you know uh my habit of watching british murder mysteries i'm like well who else would it be but just like an inspector from scotland yard obviously that's our hero inspector inspector murray who yeah. has much, he's in Dracula AD 1972. He has much floppier hair in this film. He didn't go to the barber once between 1972 and 1973. Uh-uh, didn't happen. Were they on lockdown and you couldn't go to the barber? It's unclear, but it's very floppy. Well, there is a there is some mass plague events in this, so it's possible, but we'll get to there. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, basically, Murray is also like, yeah, this does seem pretty creepy, they check out the house. There seems to be a lot going on that's really like spooky at this house. But Murray's like the only person who can help us. Again, you know, there's only one man can save us. Is Professor Lorimer Van Helsing, noted expert in like paranormal psychology and folklore or something. That's that's his base. That's his background. And I mean, it's interesting that. Like, you know, the security of a major world power is at stake and the only person they can think to turn to is a really skinny guy in tweed. Um, I don't know. We can, we can, we'll talk later about the, the role of the British intellectual in these films. But yeah, so in any case, the cabal of powerful men and in particular a scientist, Professor Keeley, a school chum of Van Helsing's, Keeley is producing a strain of the bubonic plague that's on steroids for what these this cabal thinks is supposed to be a weapon that they can hold the country hostage with so they can take over and impose their own authoritarian government. So that's the that's what they think they're doing. What turns out to be the case is that Dracula just wants to destroy the entire world and commit suicide. So that's basically the frame of the plot. Obviously, Dracula fails in his goals, but the thing, the sort of the set pieces revolve around like people fending off vampires and also like like ceremonies that are supposed to be creepy with a lot of red velvet drapery and black candles and things like this. So there are a few, there are a few, you know, so the plot, you know, the genre films, whatever the plot isn't always the point. There are a few elements, though, that we should we should dwell on for a bit. If I had to ask you, Travis, who is the personification of evil that is most terrifying in this film? Would you say A, Dracula, B, the, the cabal of industrialists and government types, or C, henchmen in sheepskin vests with aviator sunglasses riding motorcycles? What would you what would you answer? I'm going to go with C just really not because I'm so much scared of them, but because I, I think they have the most iconic style. So these, these henchmen are, they're out to get like one of the secret service secretaries um, in one scene in the movie, which shows up in the trailer. Fun fact, the, the original cinematic trailer. Um, I've just, 
never felt important enough to be chased down by hooligans, as it were. And if I had my my pick of hooligans, these these are the ones, right? It, it was a, I mean, there's He-Man. He-Man had some really good henchmen. Like, um, He-Man's nemesis, Skeletor, had some great henchmen too. So don't get me wrong. It was kind of close between those two. But I'm going to go with these guys. Sheepskin vests. So you get the, like, kind of fur trim feeling. The like, 70s. Kind of rustic. The really 70s. Very. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, like, not holding back there. Um, also tying us to kind of the countryside of England in this very oblique way, which I'm loving. And then, but we're keeping it cool with those aviators, right? Classic. What do they do? I don't know. They ride motorcycles together. I imagine they go to their local, you know, and wow, what a scene that must look like at the pub, right? These guys just sitting around, like keeping their sunglasses this is on what I don't and get. drinking beer. There's so many of them. They get killed constantly. They just keep coming back. And my big question is, what is their motivation? Like, what's in it for them? Right. It's the same question I, I have. Mm-hmm. It's the same question I have for Chin Yang, who is like this, like sort of Asian stereotype character who appears throughout the movie. It's a, it's hypothesized that she's the Satanist who brought Dracula back. We don't know, you know, <laughs> it's unclear. But you're like, what's in it for you? What are you getting out of this? What What are the sheepskin men getting out of this? They're just they're just doing their job, you know. Right. It's their nine to five, um, and you know, I I feel like this is. You, I imagine like a like a thespian taking on this role and asking the director, like quizzing her him, like what well what you know what's behind this for me? How do I how do I think about my motivation for this scene? Um, and the director might turn to the henchman and say, "Your job is to pull up in the motorcycle and then take a baton out of your pocket and hit the windshield um, of the Secret Service." I don't care what your motivation is, but that's part of the fun, the atmospheric camp that we have going on is like. That there are henchmen and that they make no sense at all. Loving it. Loving it. Totally. Totally. There is another really great angle in this film that I thought was worth commenting on in terms of the plot. So, like, once they just, once the writers decided that Keeley had to be making the super bubonic plague, they had to sort of go through, like, how this is going to work. Like, what the cabal of Satanists was going to do with it. That sort of thing. And... They come to the part where they're like, look, if this is such a super weapon, it's going to kill everyone. And then that's not great for a vampire. They need blood. Like, what's going Like, so Travis, like, how do they how do they decide, like, what's going on with Dracula? Dracula's like, wants to get rid of his food supply? Like, huh? Yeah, um, you have to go to a really kind of nihilist place um, in this imagined Dracula psychology where... We're, we're following the death drive, I suppose. Or maybe it's just boring. Um, you know, He's done chasing his dinner and he's lived for centuries and centuries or been reincarnated, on, you know, inexplicably reincarnated and just continues back. And it's just, there's no point for him anymore. You know, we're post-World War II. Um, you know, the atom bomb has happened. I don't really know because it's not supplied in any way. We're left to kind of um, fill in the blanks here on why he wants to eliminate the world, but take a, a consort. Like, I need I need a partner for for this. Mo- like, what? Who's Van Helsing's uh, granddaughter, Jane? Of yeah, right. Of course. I mean, that part's kind of fun because we get the the perversity, which does feel. If we have a kind of satanic moment, I think that's maybe low-key satanic, the idea of trying to um, t- 
turn something that's supposed to be a force for good, you know, Van Helsing fighting the monsters, that whole lineage, and turning it into something that's defiled or, you know, by association with evil and reversed. It's a great part uh, in the film when, because like Van Helsing is the one who's like, I think it's, and again, this is like the, the sort of the heady British intellectualism of the film. Van Helsing is like, well, it must be the death drive. Uh, we've all read Freud, you know, uh, and, and sort of like pulls out a cigar or something. But uh, he's, he's like, yeah, his life sucks. You know, that's, that's just it. And what's really funny is his own life sucks. And what's really funny is he, at, the, at one of the climax moments when um, like Dracula is like lording it over them. It's like, oh, I got my plague. I'm going to play my plague card. And Van Helsing's like, you don't even know what you're doing. You're, it's your death drive. And like Dracula kind of just like furrows his eyebrows. It's just like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should read this Freud fellow. <laughs> he's like, it's, it's almost as if he's like, huh, you, got, you make some points. I and mean, <laughs> it continues on. Is that what you want, Count Dracula? A last blaze of utter horror and violence, ghastly annihilation of an entire planet. Is this your own death wish? <laughs> Pass the brandy. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. One of the things, again, uh, this is actually an example of the difference in style between Hammer and the Universal films. So, in this moment where Van Helsing is like, maybe you need a therapist, uh, Dracula like just makes one of his cabal servants break the vial of bubonic plague open and infect himself. And in these films, and when Dracula is making a kill, most often, his eyes go bloodshot. And he's just like his eyes are like really wide. It's like pretty creepy, and so they they kind of they kind of make him. He goes from like suave to looking like shit like really fast, but like looking like shit in a scary way. That's a good. It's a good good style point. Speaking of style, um, we've mentioned the grooviness. Um, were there any other like sort of like cues or like motifs that stood out to you as like kind of interesting or important about the film? Yeah, um, one would be some, a cinematography angle around color. Yeah. Um, I think that one was really cool. So we see, for example, the scene where Keeley is hanged. We've got this green kind of tint to the scene. The sense of using um, conventions of film to create atmosphere, I thought was well done and kind of, you know, a little spooky, also a little groovy, to be real. Um, yeah. Uh, what yeah. about be a part of the grooviness that sometimes they use and they do this in the credits. I, I'm not like a cinema, despite the fact that I talk about scary films all the time on this podcast, I'm not really like a, I don't like higher training and like, you know, cinema studies, but it seems like there's like a, a fisheye lens that they use at certain moments. That's like very disorienting mm-hmm. and, and sort of plays into another theme. If there's like a fisheye lens, which is the use of surveillance cameras as a major plot device and constant companion through the entire film. So like they have a lot of these closed circuit television cameras going, you know, like operating in Pelham house and like, and this sort mostly there. Um, so like there, and, and like Britain would become notorious for how many CCTV cameras they would have like in public spaces, like the entire, like basically you could be like surveilled, at every moment. And this was before people were freaking out about this before we all came to understand that we were being surveilled all the time by advertisers and the NSA anyway. But you know, it's still like a very, like a very public, it's like part of public space, like these, this sort of the surveillance apparatus. And this relates to one of the plot points 
that goes back to the camera in the watch because they keep looking through the different head honchos who are showing up. It's like, oh, there's the general. There's Mr. Real Estate. There's the bubonic plague chemistry guy, you know, and so on and so on. Um, and there kept being like these shots of like empty doorways. And so it's like, oh, well, you know, we everyone knows that vampires don't show up in mirrors, but they kind of updated it for the mass surveillance age. You're like Dracula's not showing up on the camera. Any other style points? You mentioned how it's also like that kind of country rural british sort of style i think this like movie like came out i should check my timeline but like i was thinking of like uh the sort of john le carré novels about Mm -hmm. like british spies and stuff and they're like there's a lot of like interior scenes and these kind of soul at the circus these sort of soulless british bureaucratic buildings and there's a lot of that especially in the the this is another ludicrous plot point in the, in the ddd corporate headquarters but also like in the secret Ser- mi5 or whatever and they contrast that with the more countrified rustic scenery and that's sort of an interesting contrast or it's just incoherent it's either a con- an interesting contrast or it's just like you were trying to make two genre films at the same time and they kind of like didn't work together <laughs> They're building a bridge, Klaus. Yeah. You know, give yeah. them credit. They're yeah. they're taking on a lot here by right. mixing and matching these elements, I feel. Right. So speaking of elements, we have the the title, right? Sure. Provocative. Satanic rites of Dracula. A question I think a reasonable person could have about this film is what is so satanic about the satanic rites of Dracula? <laughs> Where does Satan, where does Satan or Satanism appear in this film, Travis? Well, I think our key is totally in the title, right? It's, I was sort of hoping for more devil content, not least because I'm the co-host of a podcast about the devil. I don't know if you've heard Seven Heads, Ten Horns. You should totally check it out. But um, we are rate, review, subscribe. <laughs> tell your smash friends smash that subscribe button smash yeah. it um etc and so weiter and so weiter okay yeah yeah um but it's the rights so we have a few uh moments where we see these that you've alluded to already the kind of i suppose leve aesthetic right um where um we have this cabal of powerful people conducting what is essentially mumbo jumbo? There's not a lot of content here. I mean, like the the sabbat sabbat of the you know of the undead. So we're gonna just simultaneously take a, a vaguely anti-Semitic like direction, right? Uncritically, and then we're going to not provide any content that refers to anything that nerds like us with you know history of Christianity degrees might be able to really sink our teeth into. Um, but What's important about it, I suppose, in general, is that it's reversing the idea of a Christian mass. Like, there's something backwards going on that's meant to invoke the enemy. Um, what did what was your take on worshiping blood and um, reversing this kind of Eucharistic theme? Reverse. Do you the have curse. anything there? I know. Yeah. I, just, I, I just know. I, I know. Like you mentioned, like being a potential anti-Semitic trans. I know the the British are really just known for being extremely culturally sensitive about these things. I mean, maybe you saw the last Great British Baking Show episode where they did Mexican Week, and you know, like they really just showed. <laughs> their, oh my god! Their sensitivity. Yeah. 
anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, so part of it, what, a thesis I have is that the Satanism angle is just for like human dupes. And so a key piece of evidence for this thesis is the way that the, the ritual works. They're like killing a cockerel, killing a rooster, mm-hmm. like some naked woman on an altar is sort of like orgasmically entertained by this. The cabal comes up and, you know, instead of Ash Wednesday crosses on their foreheads, they like do an inverted blood cross in their foreheads. And then, and the, and, and, uh, I was really excited that they didn't drink the blood from the rooster because I feel like that was going to get. Yeah. Right. So they come up and and Chin Yang is like, you know, and you are going straight to hell with the seven warlords of the demon. Blah, right. blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this is supposed to be persuasive. And they go back and then, you know, this woman is like, the woman on the altar is really enjoying herself. And then Chin Yang like stabs her in the chest with a knife. and Which seemed rude for someone who's volunteering to be part of your, you know, little ritual. It just seemed, yeah, right. virgin sacrifice. I mean, it's just like pulling all these tropes from all over, right? But, yeah, but it's it's interesting that she the the way like and then she's mysteriously healed right and it's like oh this is the power of satan well it's because she's a vampire you know like <laughs> right we don't interrogate or or show what the relationship is between vampire and satan do we get our power to you know suck blood and live forever from there presumably but you know how does that work you have to you know Tune in next week to find out. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Well, and so the thing that I find interesting is Dracula never talks about Satan. And maybe it's like a movie villain, movie monster thing where it's like, like Dracula's not going to like debase himself in front of some other, you know, Dracula's like, I'm, I'm the devil, you know, I'm the head honcho. Right. Like who, who, Satan, what's Satan? We don't see Satan in this film. And so that's part Satan? of it. For me. I don't know her. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. And so that's like for me, there's suggestions in the film that like, oh, like Chin Yang did a Satanist ritual and that's how Dracula came back. It's like the writers didn't even bother to figure that out. Like they don't care. The one way that it does connect to what Dracula's, pro- Dracula's project of world annihilation is a great scene where Van Helsing is convincing all these government bureaucrats that the the key to saving England is buying into his like spiritual warfare, paranoid right wing Christian worldview. And he sort of he sort of, you know, he says like, oh, like all of this is climaxing towards November 23rd, the, the, the Sabbath of the undead. And I'm thinking like November 23rd. Oh, right. Like Thanksgiving weekend, the worst driving days and travel days of the entire year. It is like a Sabbath of the undead in a certain way. Right. You know, like there is something there's some truth to what he's saying. And but he says this to these like these like these uh, security cop people. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? And Van Helsing is just like, well, there are satanic circles that govern our fate. Even the fate of the universe. And it's we'll like, take your word for it, Van Helsing. It's like, thanks for that. Thanks, Pops. You know, Lorimer, I really appreciate your your opinions on the matter. But everyone's everyone just like sort of nods. They're like, yes, it must be true. And Van Helsing like pulls out some like astro- astrology chart, and he's like, look, look at the satanic circles of fate. He's like, if you look, every time something bad ever happened, 
it was it was when these circles intersected. And it's like, oh, so like the last time my dog pooped on my carpet, like the circles were intersecting. Like Van Helsing, like what are we oh, talking you didn't, about? You didn't know, Klaus? Yeah, that's totally that's completely real. Yeah, so. totally predictable. So that you know, Dracula does seem to be following the satanic circles that govern our fate. Maybe they're governing his fate. I don't know. So that's 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 the other thing. takes us pretty readily into the the persona the van helsing persona peter cushing he he looks like hell in all these movies i think he i think he went through hell i think i think he had a lot of he had a lot of issues but it is just striking that this guy is like the salvation of the universe it's like it's like this dude in the tweed blazer and one of the things i love about these british movies is how much respect these guys get. And this goes back to the first Hammer Dracula film with the the character of Harker. So as you may recall from the novel and like this this so like this is nothing about Hammer films. They take great liberties with the plot. So in the reg, in the regular Dracula, Harker is a real estate agent who's going to help Dracula move to Carfax Abbey in London. What is he doing in the Hammer version, Travis? So he shows up to the manor and he's in charge of, you know, will you my organize papers. all of my yeah. my life? Will you be my my papers? I need a personal assistant. He's it got seems, a big library. It seems like a really it seems like a really weird gig. I'm just going to put it out there. You know, should I teach at a university in a town with humans in it? Or should I retire to a country estate of a super creepy undead guy and organize his It's a no-brainer. All it's by no myself brainer. in their company. <laughs> yeah, it's really clear. So he makes the obvious choice, which is to risk his life and uh, work for Dracula. Yeah. Well, well I mean, what about here? he's not only, he'd only he'd, he's not only like, oh, I'm going to risk my life to work for Dracula. He's like, this is all a scam. I sold this guy on the fact I was going to alphabetize his books. I'm here to put a stake in that motherfucker's heart. So he's, he's, 
He's right. a secret he's, agent. It's all a ruse. He's mm-hmm. he's he's Van Helsing's boy. You know, he's like, I'm, of course, Van Helsing was too much of a wuss to come and do the job himself. But I guess he was too notorious among in the vampire community. He was too notorious. You know. Right. We need this That's like ex- a sleeper agent. So but, yeah, it all worked out. This is pattern. These intellect, these bookish fellows in these films are like lords of violence. I kind of love that. <laughs> Klaus, is this is this your secret ambition? That's I mean, like I'm speaking to a professor, to an intellectual, and I want to know: is this your end game here? Speaking of end games, well, I'll tell you, it's not discussing. mine, but I'll tell you whose end game it is. It's uh, our 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 friend and like formerly of the Toronto Psychology Department, north of the border, Jordan Peterson. I think this was his end game. Oh, but, it all makes sense now. So yeah, like, this is not really only working. do I get to rock the Tweed Blazer and sound profound about things, but my eccentric combination of like depth psychology and uh, folklore and mythology is actually the secret to all of the world's problems and especially the problems of disaffected right-wing young men on YouTube. So oh, yeah, yeah, so like, and I, but like mm-hmm. this idea that like that kind of person is like, not only like smart and ha- and like knows obscure things, if that can be called smart, we 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 might we one might question, you know, one we question, question one that. might question that. We might question, <laughs> but um, but also that this person authorizes like purging masculine violence that's salvific for the national community. Um, to me, ties into the 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 fantasies and desires of the Jordan Petersonite community. And also just his also his uh, self presentation as like profound, but like I'm I like I'm I'm very learned and I will pontificate on all manner of things. But what I have to say is the most important thing for the future of our civilization. Like it's that kind of posture that I see, you know, sort of. Yeah. Well, speaking of mythology, yeah, it's creating its own, you know by reference to and you know creating your credentials in folklore and mythology and obscure you know kinds of knowledge you are in yourself creating your own new kind of expertise that's the most important thing in the world forming your own mythology that's going to serve you you know politically financially etc and is going to have this very particular audience that you write to and it is dangerous uh, but i think it's so funny that it's like the his own archetype is the Van Helsing Hammer Studios <laughs> archetype. I think that's just really funny. It's like, it's like a fake scholar. Who, you know, it's like people like I got I joined the police academy because I really like Sherlock Holmes. You know, like it, it, it's it's. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah. that's a right wingish thing about this film. Um, are there other? elements of the contemporary right that one might detect from a film made 50 years ago. Yeah, well, you have the cabal of, you know, important leaders. The, I would say that the the relationship to authority in this movie is really interesting because on the one hand, you know, you've got this uh, tweed-wearing authority who who just is believed when he points to these circles, <laughs> the intersecting circles of hell. On the other hand, you have the real bad guys, the supposed bad guys who are, you know, leaders of industry, but importantly and tellingly, I think science and government mm-hmm. in particular, and they're the ones who are out to get you. They've been uh, seduced by satanic 
ritual, satanic beliefs, a, a wrong belief system, and they're leading all of society astray. And I mean, yeah, that that does sound a little yeah. familiar. Klaus. Have you Have heard, you heard of anything of the like deep that state? before? I don't know. Like, yeah. Q. No, I tell me more. (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah. Like these conspiracies that you're going to use a plague, a cabal of deep state elites is going to use a plague to control the population. Yeah. I've never heard that before in the 2020s. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, haven't heard it. So again, like funny that the plot, the clumsy plot points of a 70s genre film line up so much with, the world the real world we live in is yeah the, the, like the, the fantasy world of people who live in the real world with us, right? um yeah is that is, exactly is interesting very to disturbing um some other things about what about the the social critique klaus um what's the what's wrong with society other than kind of the experts would you say what's being what what's the right way to sort of go forward according to this film if we play well, out the logic here interesting because the i think it has to do with the cover story so in a climate so okay I'll, I'll say this stupid plot thing so what the the one of the guys who's in charge of the cabal uh denim ddd denim or whatever he is yeah. dracula Unclear how Dracula got a billion dollars or a billion pounds to become the richest man in the world. The plots, the, 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 the so, film, what so the film good. offers us is that two years ago, after Van Helsing destroyed Dracula, a giant mega corporation built over top of the churchyard where Dracula was buried. But I'm like, mm-hmm. this got how, but how did Dracula become in charge of it? Okay, whatever. I know. So anyway, um, you know, whatever details. Van Helsing goes to interrogate the leader of this corporation, who, of course, never appears in the day and does all kinds of non-suspicious things like that. And Dracula's, like, sort of hiding behind... He has a lamp on his desk and sort of shines it in Van Helsing's face. You can't really see him. In this, like, sort of transparent, like, ruse that's, like, really stupid but kind of looks cool. Again, like, sort of the colors... Well, it feels like an interrogation, yeah, yeah. doesn't it? When you have the, the use well, of light and, that and way Van Helsing's trying to interrogate him, but like really, it's going the other way around. So anyway, Van Helsing's like, exactly. you guys are trying to kill the world, and Dracula's like, oh no, 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 we have this vial of bubonic plague as a deterrent. We, we're just concerned patriots who want to bring British society back from the brink of decadence. It's the decadence that we're fighting decadence what could yeah. be worse Klaus? Um, no i'm just i'm just victor orban i swear i'm not trying to kill everyone and it's like van helsing's like well you're you're lying to me anyway so why are you sweating coming up with a stupid cover story <laughs> like but yeah i think the 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 charge of decadence is interesting because that is the that is the these films do traffic in a kind of moral panic like the youth is out of control they're wearing sheepskin jackets they're joining motorcycle gangs they're serving dracula in the in dracula ad 1972 the youth culture angle is really extreme where they're like oh your children are out there they're doing drugs they're sacrificing to the devil and dracula himself and that sort of thing and so uh i think the film 
kind of puts it out there that it does think that there is decadence and a lack of control and a lack of authority. That's why you need an authoritarian professor and members of the security apparatus to come together to save Christendom from the powers of evil. You know, like Van Helsing's like, this is literally Armageddon from the book of Revelation. You're like, okay. Um, so yeah, I think that even the, what the, the, the words that they sort of put into the mouths of these decadence hating these guys are calling anyone decadent they're going to like these like satanic blood sex rituals like aren't you the decadent people whatever you know um hypocrisy is everywhere if you look i guess but yeah what do you think what is does that make sense to you yeah um i think it's kind of pot boiler uh conservative social critique um it's it's not super interesting it wouldn't be super interesting to me klaus if i didn't see it happening again (laughs) right so i'm forced to be to pay attention i suppose by the moment that we're in um otherwise i don't see anything particularly creative uh in the social critique that's embedded in the film there's a lot of creativity in the film though don't get me wrong artistically speaking the the lack of cohesion of the plot alone is very yes. interesting. I mean, it's it's it's, it's delightful. It's delightful. We can just have these my, fancy excuses. My, my hot take reading of the film is that even though the thing, I think the film is itself like pretty right wing in its orientations, it has a kind of like critique in spite of itself of fascism where like people like, like, I think you hear this about like when people join far right movements, like they're lonely, they're looking for some sort of belonging, but like the people who run these things, they promise a kind of solidarity, but they just abuse you and will manipulate you. And if you're not useful or if you're not like, you know, hyper mask enough or whatever, like you will be just, you will be exploited and abused and thrown to the side, like a piece of trash. There's like no real solidarity. And I kind of see that in, how Dracula just like uses these these guys as dupes. Like they're doing this ritual and they think that they're like, you know, living their realist lives. And it's like, Dracula's like, oh, whatever, we're not, that was all bullshit. Like, yeah, I'm just using you, you know? And so I think like that kind of does shine a light, a critical light on right wing sort of the, the lack of ethics and solidarity in those kinds of political spaces. And that's what that's what it sort of stood out to me, especially yeah. like in far right, in like the sort of far right. I agree, and I would also point to we've we've gestured toward a camp reading at least of the film, and I think you can you can uh, note that the supposed social critique is so flimsy and. Uh, so potboiler as to be itself a bit of a joke. And in that sense, you can at least uh, read the film differently. Maybe perhaps against its grain. It's it's hard for me to tell who's being earnest and who's just kind of repeating a trip so that we have an excuse to have a great I mean, my sense know, is vampire that, flick. Yeah, it's I'm just not people sure. are just running through motifs and a repertoire and are kind of bricolaging them together for these films. And mm-hmm. those elements can kind of take on a life of their own in these chemical combinations. And so like whether what the, what the people who made the film are trying to say, like, I don't know, you know? (laughs) Yeah. That's not the thing, obviously that's not the thing. Um, But it is fun to kind of delve in, examine a little further and say, okay, if we read this story as, you know, what it purports to be, it gives us this one message, but in its 
actualization, its realization in the way that it's been bricolaged together, there's there's some really yeah. fun elements and ways to totally. read it differently. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about, I don't know, Christianity, the devil? Yeah, our tweety like bony professor Lorimer Van Helsing is a, a sort of interesting Christian figure. He's suspicious of the youth these days and their their drugs, sex, and rock and roll. And he knows how to handle the problems that threaten England. He knows that what at the end of the day, you need to take a silver cross, put it in a cast iron skillet, and melt the cross so you can make a silver bullet out of it. And for me, <laughs> that that sequence, I, I kind of so love watching this cross melt in a in a cast iron skillet. It's kind of pretty cool. And like, of course, like Van, like it's like so like not how it would be in America, where like if it would be like it's like into a magnum you know 357 you know like huge gun and like van helsing pulls out like this little like <laughs> dainty you know like uh tiny gun to, to for his for his bullet but yeah like the idea that the cross is a weapon and is literally this gonna be like tr- is you know transmuted into a, a, a weapon of death is like about as you know clear <laughs> clear an image as you could get for like the uh the kind of right-wing Christian ethos. And so um, that really stood out to me. He also, you know, he does a training seminar for the uh, the cops and security personnel in his acquaintance that only pure objects will be of any use against the, the servants of the devil. The Bible, you know, the Bible is a useful element, weapon for him. He he slips it onto Dracula's desk and Dracula yeah. brushes with his hands. So it's like, ah! <laughs> starts screaming, <laughs> which actually also happens when Klaus. I know touches, I have to teach the, the Bible, Bible a lot. So I start, I, you know, my students are like, "What's wrong, professor?" I'm like, "Ah, <laughs> like, why? Why is your hand smoking?" <laughs> <laughs> and it's why I've never showered. This running yeah, water, right? So I running water, so, and man, yeah. this is one of the funniest things about this movie. I think so. There's like a bunch of like lady vampires chained to their coffins in the in in the basement of Pelham House. Oh, thank and, you. Yes. And the way mm-hmm. that floppy-haired Inspector Murray dispatches them is he turns on the sprinkler system. I swear to God, there are sprinklers nowhere Stop. else in this house. Otherwise, the fires that break out in the main sacrificial chamber would be put out. But no, in a stone basement right. with nothing in it, that's where we need to invest mm-hmm. in a world-class Critical. sprinkler system. It makes total sense. But yes, running mm-hmm. water, clear, pure yeah. English water is what you need. Yeah. Um, funniest thing. Funniest what about thing, the climax? I want to say one thing. Um, there's this great part because they're talking about the 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 things that can that can uh, like stop the the vampires. Oh, I'm just gonna find something. And the, you know mm-hmm. the, the sort of purity of these these weapons. And it, there's a part in the first a Hammer Dracula movie where they're talking about like oh things that can stop vampires and things that are true about vampires, things that are false about vampires. And at one point. Like someone, someone's like, but professor, can, can the, can the vampire turn into a bat or a wolf? And Van Helsing's like, of course not, you fool, your superstitions. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, silver silver bullets, bullets, totally. And of course, um, other kinds of holy objects, like, um, the, mm-hmm. the tree of like the like about the hawthorn tree he mentions the hawthorn tree i hadn't heard this about the hawthorn tree i had to go to you for some knowledge on the hawthorn tree um and i had to go to the internet let's be real but um i did i had heard that the hawthorn tree 
had in some European legends been associated with the crown of thorns, but I had not heard about the glass Glastonbury thorn and I'm about to drop some knowledge. So get excited. Uh, turns out there is a legend that Joseph of Arimathea, um, you know, when done offering, you know, a place to put dead bodies, uh, famously for, uh, Jesus before the resurrection, um, in his spare time afterward, he thought it would be cool to go to Britain, which is super close. Really, just like lived. the center um, of the Roman Empire, you know, Britain, just really like just like the, the bleeding, <laughs> the bleeding edge of of advancement of of culture in the Roman Empire. Uh, yeah, yeah, it made a, um, you know, maybe maybe he was going to the ends of the world. He was like, oh, this Paul guy, he's really got a thing. You know, Paul, who definitely. Um, uh, went to Rome and then, you know, James to yeah, Santiago yeah, yeah. in Spain. You know, we have, we just have facts, really facts, famous yeah. Christian. Uh, yeah. Facts here. These are all facts. So, um, sorry, hate to burst anyone's bubble there. Talk to me later if that's <laughs> difficult. Um, so, uh, Glastonbury is supposedly where Jer Joseph of Arimathea went and he thought it would be cool to bring with him. I don't know. A th the thorn, um, the thorn, the tree, the original tree from which the crown of thorns was taken, which seems like a normal thing to do. Like, I'm going to go travel to a foreign land very far from my home. What should I, should I bring clean water? Should I bring food um, for this boat that definitely can make it in this time period? We, we have boats who can totally manage this journey, no problem, um, that he would have access to, right? Uh, from the provinces where he lives in the Roman Empire. Um, and so he's like, you know what I'm going to bring? I'm going to bring this tree with me and then I'm going to plant it in Glastonbury. And all these legends are going to appear um, around how great it is that it flowers twice a year. Um, and fun fact, um, a flowering sprig from this tree, not really, I'm going to be real with you. That tree died. The original tree from the legend has probably died because in, uh, in modern times, it's been uh, propagated a few times, all right? So I'm sorry to burst everyone's bu bubble, but fun fact, the British monarch every Christmas gets a flowering sprig from this tree, which is what's so amazing about this tree um, IRL is that it uh, flowers not just in the spring, but also for the first time in the winter, which shows how miraculous it is and that it's definitely related to the crown of thorns. I love that. So that's the proof. That's cool. So yeah. So how does that relate here to the plot, Klaus? What's the what well, happens Dracula's, to Dracula at the end of the movie? He's chasing what, Van Helsing around like he does, you know. He's like, oh, I'm gonna, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get this normal, guy again. Normal. It's like Tom and Jerry with these two, you know. Like, come on, get a get a room, guys. Come on, it um, is. But and anyway, <laughs> uh, Van Helsing is recognizes the the Hawthorne. And he's like, oh, and he's, he starts like Dracula, Dracula, come Dracula, you know. And and Dracula is like, I'm gonna get this. I'm done, done playing with this dude. He comes like running through the forest like he's uh, the Incredible Hulk or something. And he gets stuck in the tree. I swear to God, it looks like this bush eats him. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like, you know, mm -hmm. like, it's like, just pull the stickers out, man. Like, but no, Dracula just keeps like going through the tree. And he's like, ah! You know, he's, he's getting like cut up. He's like getting like impaled by these thorns. It looks painful. And, and it's so funny. It, it like sort of lays him low. It doesn't finish him off. You know, I got to tell the, all the vampires listening, just stop keeping a lot of like wood that could be turned into stakes laying around because like people will use it on you. And so that happens. Uh <laughs> I mean, 
It's a classic error, though. It's an easy thing to mistake. What should I just leave? You know, wooden stakes around, silver bullets. I mean, it it seems like a great idea and at the then time. And Lormer, then it doesn't the, work the out. grandson of the guy who originally stuck a stake in your heart, is mm. is sticking mm. a stake through your heart. And the thing I love is that when they really they really sell out for the uh, the special effects of like the paper mache decomposition of Dracula's flesh. Very cool. Um, funny but cool. Yeah, but it looks like Dracula's wearing the crown of thorns at the end. I'm like, Dracula Jesus is what this film is showing us. Like, Dracula is the real. He's he he. That's why he wouldn't talk about the devil because he's saving himself for Jesus. Because the film wants us to believe that, you know, in the way that we had heavy-handed Christo symbolism with Cool Hand Luke. Cool Hand Luke was Jesus. Drac- Christopher Lee is is Jesus. Yeah. Right. Okay is very clearly Jesus here. So I feel like we've solved hey, everything. He died um, and, you know, rose from have... the dead. I mean, like, the vampire Jesus. Vampire, you know, that's what, Done. That's what, we're, that's what we got here. I mean, this whole resurrection undead thing, it all kind of It, it goes, goes together, back I to that, that show um, we watched this... last week, right? last year, last week, last year. Um, that's, <laughs> I'm forgetting about, forgetting its name. Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass. Good title. Yeah. Kind of like Midnight Mass. So Midnight yeah. Mass drew the connection together between the vampirism and the uh, miraculous properties of the incarnation um, thing. So, yeah. Right. And it's like an ancient story, too. We should, you know, be clear that uh, often used, though, against Jews, blood yeah. libel, yeah. etc. Anyway, um, we could get into Eucharistic uh Ways of using the imagery of the Eucharist to malign others. That could be its whole, it could be a class, frankly. Um, but in this instance, oh, yeah. Um, we have a ritual to tie it all together. So we've got full on, we've got our new savior. We've got a blood, a cup of blood. I mean, we really, we could just go for it. The church of um, Dr- vampire Jesus. Is yeah. that the name of it, do you think? Dr- oh, sorry. Dracula, Dracula Jesus, Jesus is yeah. better. Yeah. Right. And since there's always going to be sequels, he does ri- he does rise again. So anyway, well, I think we I think we did it. I think we cracked the code. That is the sort of the super sophisticated masterpiece that is the mm. Satanic Rites of Dracula. It, it, it's a, it's fun. It's short. These movies are never that long. Hollywood take note. It doesn't have to be three hours to be entertaining. Um, it's you know it's it's a it's a romping, disciplined like 87 minutes long or something like that. So yeah, really I'll give it kudos for that. Looks great. Sounds great. Groovy music. And um, you've heard the rest. So yeah, um, we got more coming out this month on Faust. We got, we've got some more Faust content coming out. I think Travis, you're going to join us. We have a special guest join us to talk about Christopher Marlowe's Dr. Faustus. I'm having, I'm working round the clock on the Goethe Faust episodes. So stay tuned for that too. And yeah, we're going to have a really, we're really just going to like totally just lay out sacrifice for the seasonality this month. So yeah. So uh, thanks for listening. And see you next time. This pod is made possible by support from the Satanic Horde, Asmodeus, Mammon, Leviathan, Beelzebub, and listeners like you. Thank you.